femininity is powerful in all its forms, exceptional girls, rare girls must be appreciated in every way for their perspectives, actions, thoughts, and their unique ways of being. Such rare girls are inspiring, and this is what this podcast is all about. Hello, my name is Aziz, and my guest today is Maria Filipova. Maria is a Flex alumna of 2018 and a political science and international relations bachelor's student at American University in Bulgaria. Originally from Ukraine, she is currently the assistant to the CEO at Lemon.io, a marketplace of developers. Maria is a TEDx, AUBG organizer, a piano player, a harp player, and the pasta lover. Maria, how are you today? Hello there. Thank you for having me, Aziz. It was such a pleasure. Um, I'm good, and I'm just very much happy to be here to be speaking with you today. I'm privileged, I'm honored, and I'm very curious about you. So I will begin with this question. What does it mean for you to be a woman? And what is femininity? Is it actions? Is it aesthetics and a look? Is it an energy? How would you describe it? And what makes you feel like a woman? Wow, that's a very nice question. Um, as for being a woman, I would think that it just um, encompasses so many qualities and characteristics, both feminine and masculine and uh, when you asked about uh, femininity i would think that is a state of a person um and his emotional rather his emotional state and the energy that one projects to the others thank you and to go even more because that's a very general question and very generous as well. What's common between being a piano player for you, a harp player, and a pasta lover? Is it emotions? Is it sensations? Is it experiences that are new or that make time stop? What's for you the commonality that make these something special? I would think that uh, in all of these activities, it's the energy that I produce and the energy that I receive from these activities when engaging in them. Because um, I think when in, when you engage in the activity that you love, you, first of all, you project some sort of calmness and you also receive the energy to feel empowered, to feel um like you want to do things and you want to explore things. So I would think that all the sort of hobbies that I have, they definitely give me more power that I could later on use in my studies and my work and in general, just being a human being. Thank you. And to understand you even more from another facet, why international relations? How did the choice come to be and what motivated it mm, well international relations came about when i traveled to the u.s for my exchange year as a flex student and i spent there a year 
um, living in host family and going to the school and just seeing how it's quite interesting how you can be from another culture yet share so many things with the person from another part of the world. And when I came back to Ukraine, it was also interesting how I myself was a Ukrainian, but I just spent just a year in the US and coming back, it was, it seemed like I was a partially different person. That's why international relations would be such a field which just has so many factors of human communication, which I'm quite passionate about. And I would think that studying Bulgaria is also part of the journey to realize how the human communication evolves because in Bulgaria, it's the culture itself is sort of similar in, in many ways to Ukrainian culture, yet I'm studying in American university, which also um, is sort of similar to the experience I had in the US, but it's also different. <laughs> so it's, it's quite interesting how it can be just so versatile, yet uh, the core of international relations is the communication. Tell me more, how does that relate to exchange of energy, which is similar to your favorite activities? Is it with people that you love, that exchange of energy, and the way you give or share your energy is with communication, and the way you receive it lets you learn and notice the similarities and the differences? Or is this a totally different sphere with its own preferences, roles, and enjoyments? I think if we're talking about national relations as a field, I would think that it relates in so many ways to just um, day-to-day communication because it is communication, but just on another level, whether it's diplomatic, whether it's political, whether it's economic. Um, But when we go to the core, again, it's still communication and it's the empathy and sympathy you have for the person that you're talking to and it's being able to see the perspective from their side and understand why they make certain decisions the way they make them and yet also project your perspective and just find a common ground which is something that exchange programs um, teach you in a way that you should find common ground with the person. And there are just so many ways, so many levels that you can do that, that um, based on like personal um, preferences or some activities that you've shared in the past, some um, some similar backgrounds, but also just wanting to understand the person in the first place. Thank you. And if there are situations like, for example, the war in Ukraine, where it's very difficult or impossible or unlikely to find common grounds, what are your thoughts on what could be or what could happen or how can communication or that level of international relations as a communication or diplomacy help with that, if at all? I think that's a very good question because when you uh, when we consider the case of the war in Ukraine, especially when I myself being a Ukrainian, it's quite hard to distinguish the emotional part um, of 
the perspective, rather just analyzing the situation. So I would think that the part of the negotiations would definitely be the other side accepting and acknowledging the responsibility that they had, because I think that's what enables the communication in the first place is the realization that both sides had have responsibilities, have some duties. And if one of the sides did something wrong, it's quite important to acknowledge that. And it's not only in the matter of saying, I am sorry, but rather saying, I apologize, because it's such a big difference. Rather than saying, I'm sorry, it's just the other person does not feel it as much. Um, but when the person says, I apologize for that, for like some specific action, and um, also trying to make the other person forgive, it's, I think that's what's very important. And I would consider that to be a crucial part of the negotiations on diplomatic level. Thank you. And you, can you share your story of that first day of war, first week, first experience? How did you take it? How did it change you as a person? What happened? What, where were you? And how does it make you feel? Looking back, I remember that I, on the 24th of February, I woke up from a text from my friend who is from Kiev, who texted me that the war has started. And the next text was from my dad, who said that the airport that is just 15 minutes away from my city has been bombed. And the feeling that I got was that whatever I had in my mind, whatever picture, whatever safety, whatever um, feeling of security that I had, it just vanished all of a sudden because it was the first day, so there was no understanding how, how big it can be in a way, because you just see the news that um, all over Ukraine, there have been some bombings, attacks, shellings, and it's just the feeling when you go to sleep and you just cannot fall asleep because you feel the anxiety that you don't know whether you're gonna wake up tomorrow and there is still such a country as Ukraine, which is weird, which is something that I would think that, you know, it's something from the movies. I would never think that I would sort of relive it, but it's just, it's that feeling of anxiety and not knowing that despite me not being in Ukraine physically, because I'm studying Bulgaria. And at the time of the start of the war, I was in Bulgaria. So Although it doesn't affect me directly, um, it's the feeling of the security that you have, uh, the security of your family, the security of your friends that enables you to go with your day-to-day life. But when that vanishes, it's also your personal life that is affected and you just cannot go as it was before. Thank you. That's something absolutely emotional and it's an experience that changes a person forever and I hope you know your diplomacy and international relations skills help you with that in many ways you know this situation going on and all that 
what is your perspective on it? Do you think the war will end soon? Do you think it will keep on going for a long time if it happens to keep going? And the people who are invading or the invaders or Russia will keep on destabilizing Ukraine for a while and all that. What could be a plan? And for you, do you believe a lot of Ukrainians, if that happens, will still return to Ukraine or because they started new lives abroad? Well, they will continue to be abroad, making Ukraine have a brain drain, honestly. I think speaking of that perspective, I would have two sort of attitudes as a Ukrainian and as a political science science bachelor, because I mean, future bachelor, not yet, but because as a Ukrainian, I would, I believe that the war will end soon. However, as a political scientist, and simply because I've taken the course on foreign policy of Russia, I understand a little bit more of the background of the policies taken in the Russian Federation. Therefore, I understand that the resources that are put to a certain goal, um, the goal has to be achieved. And it's that's that is something that bothers me because I am not sure how far the Russian leadership is willing to go to achieve it. And what we have seen so far that they are pretty risky, that they are unpredictable in ways because there are so many people who debated whether the war will start in the first place. And there was still some sort of understanding that the war cannot just happen in the 21st century. And it did. And it's it's just that you, um, by observing the patterns in the past, it just doesn't predict the future. Although it is one of the ways of Analysis in politics is simply observing the patterns, yet this case proves that it's just not true. You cannot just look at the past and say, well, this is what's going to happen because there are so many factors involved. And that's why I would think that there is a chance, especially seeing the progress the Ukrainian army has made by today and the political changes that are happening in the Russian government. I think that there finally there is some sort of realization in the Russian government that this war is not particularly something beneficial to the Russian course of action, yet it's the people who shape the politics. And from what we've seen so far, the Russian leadership considers it to be rational, but not rational in common sense in the sense of common people when we think that something is rational meaning like you do the cost um, benefit analysis but meaning rational that there is a goal and it has to be achieved through any means so I would want to believe and I want to believe and I believe that the war ends soon yet there are just so many factors that does not that do not particularly depend on um, on Ukrainians, unfortunately. Thank you. And it's a very deep topic. And as well as you, as a metaphor, you're a person, but you're your own country, your own personality, where your communications with other people is your own personal relations or international relations. If you were to describe your personality, 
what would your friends say about you? How would you describe yourself? What makes Maria, Maria? Oh, wow, that's a very good question. Um, I would want to believe that my friends would describe me as responsible, mature, supportive, and empathetic, as well as intelligent. Thank you. And if you're responsible, mature, intelligent, and all that, and I hope that doesn't put you in, ca- in a category, so I'll ask you more about a behavior. Let's say you meet people, maybe it's a guy that you, you like, or a girl, or anybody. Do you Have you ever experienced instant chemistry where you felt you know such a person for a long, long time that... Uh, you've known each other forever and it was easy and smooth from the beginning? Or are you always thinking, analyzing, observing, and you need a lot of meetings before you open up to any person at all? Thinking on that topic, I would think that both of those ways are acceptable and both of them are possible. In my um, situation, I have experienced instant connection with the person and as we just say, it just clicked. That was, it seemed like I knew the person for so many years and we had so many things to discuss. And I emotionally felt safe and secure to be vulnerable with them. Yet another um, possibility is when you don't have that instant connection yet through the meetings, through um, getting to know each other, you become closer. Yet, I think in that case is... um, when you drift apart for some time, you know, be it a vacation, be it a holiday, be it whatever, um, when you meet again, it again takes you time to get close. Whereas when you have that instant connection, no matter how much time you've spent apart, when you meet again, you just have that instant connection that just, you just don't have to spend so much time getting close to the person again, which is amazing, which is one of the things that I appreciate in people when I meet them. Is that for you like the most important thing that makes everything so special? Or is it for you to develop trust? You need to have similar opinions, similar values, similar personalities. So if you had to choose for the rest of your life, only meeting people who you have instant connection with, but they're not really uh, similar to you, or you meet people who are absolutely similar values, responsible, intelligent, all that, but you always need time to develop that connection. <laughs> Which one <laughs> would be a happier life for you? Wow, you're putting me in such a hard position. Um, if I may, I would say that it's not possible to have a connection with a person and have different values because i think when you have the connection you have a connection based on something right so it's either the values it's either the background or it's either the chemistry that you have so it's something you know the energy and again it's based on something particularly whether you're attracted physically whether you know there are some sort of characteristics that you're attracted in the person but I value the feeling of being understood a lot. And such a feeling can be can be experienced with people who share the same values. So if I 
we're in a such a difficult position to choose between instant connection and similar values. I would go with similar values simply because it's it is important to have that connection, yet at the same time, it is quite frustrating when the person does not understand you and when you feel like they just cannot see things from your perspective. So I would just have to go with that. Thank you. I understand exactly what you mean. And in the beginning, when I asked you about femininity, you said it includes so many characteristics, even masculine kinds in men. Because I had guests here, for example, one, she said, I like feminine men because it makes me feel confident and powerful. And therefore, I don't feel my insecurities. While another one or others said, I like very strong and masculine men that are stereotypically masculine, because then I feel vulnerable in a good way. And I feel protected and feminine. Which one are you? And how can you explain it in a way that why is it that way for you? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I would think that I would like to experience the feeling of security, both emotional and physical. Therefore, I, from the experience, I see myself to be more attracted to masculine men. However, it is also quite essential for me to see that the, the guy can be vulnerable and which is sometimes a difficulty for because of the stigma that exists in the society that men cannot be vulnerable or cannot express their emotions. That's why it's something that puts me off. So I would say that there has to be um, a balance in a way. Thank you. And then to ask you, because you spoke about this, And it's very important. And I agree with you in everything you said. But let's say something. There is a guy who's similar to you. He's responsible. He's intelligent and all that. But as you like that exchange of energy and emotions, maybe he's not so emotionally exciting or maybe boring compared to some bad boy who's a risk taker and full of emotions and excitement and all that. Which one would you choose? And why would the other be wrong for you? Or is it your brain controlling your instincts? Wow, you're, again, I have to choose. Um, As you can see, I'm not the person who particularly likes to make choices. But if I have to, I would think that I would be more comfortable with a guy who is a risk taker. Because there is something that uh, is attracted that is attractive in people who are opposite of us, but I not I don't mean it in a way that are complete opposites, but rather there are some certain traits that we lack in ourselves. And when you see that in the other person, it's as if I want to develop that trait in myself as well. So I yes, I would say that I would be attracted to like a, a risk taker boy. Thank you. And you mentioned you don't like to make decisions. So if you like a man, do you like him constantly? Or are you always like, maybe yes, maybe no, maybe yes, maybe no, I can choose, I can decide and all that. Tell me more about it. And how does it work inside your brain? Because maybe it's different. Men can have consistent things where they have clarity and think, oh, yes, I like this girl 100% or I don't like this girl 100%. So tell me about you. 
Well, I would think that I I would be certain in the guy who I like and why I like him because um, from experience I would see that if I like the person I mostly go full in all in meaning I don't really have any doubts whether I uh, like the person or I don't like the person it's more like it's a sign to me if I have the doubts if I start doubting and if I have to uh, you know bring up the arguments and the um the um, like some sort of evidence I think that's a sign that I'm not sure and that's not particularly for me that person or the situation or anything because it's sort of a life hack that I've developed over the past year that if I want something if I truly like something or someone I don't need to be persuaded I just like it and if in my head I start coming up with the arguments, with the persuasions, well, that's a sign that's, that's not, that doesn't click with me. Thank you. That was absolutely clear and a great life hack, as you mentioned. And let's, in the end, or almost before we end, speak about touch. Some girls, especially from Ukraine, there is, of course, like the thing where they think they're smiling, some of them, but they have a bitch face. I don't know if it applies <laughs> to you. <laughs> and another thing is touch that they say, well, uh, we're not really um, have this touch culture in Ukraine. There are not a lot of hugging in the families and all that. So even if they like a guy, if he touches them, it's too intimate, it's too intense. And therefore, they might not like it. While others, they say, I need to feel his touch and energy so that I fully experience him as a person to know if it's my person and if we have that chemistry, which one are you and uh, why? I would completely agree with you were saying um, about smiles and the bitch face because it's it has happened to me as well when I traveled to the US. And um, as you may know, the American culture is quite friendly and welcoming. And it's one of the things that people tend to smile quite a lot. And um, when I, well, I was coming from Ukraine, so I didn't particularly have that as a habit to smile to strangers all the time. And people considered me quite rude and unwelcoming simply because I wasn't smiling all the time. So I've learned that. But actually, it's also nice to know that once you smile a lot, you actually feel more confident as well as more positive. But um, as for touch, I would, I, I can see why it can be intimidating or why it can be um, a bit too much for some girls because I used to be that way as well. And um, I would have to make sure that there was some sort of emotional connection first before the touch because the touch, the physical touch can sort of spook me at first which if I'm not sure whether I feel comfortable emotionally with a person, the physical um, touch can even deter me even more. And I'm not going to be as excited to engage in the conversation. So I would rather make sure that I actually enjoy talking to the person first, that I feel comfortable expressing my emotions. And in case there is some sort of touch, 
and something else, I would feel free to say that I don't feel comfortable or I would encourage and endorse and say, oh, that's great. Or like, you know, and I would also reciprocate the actions with uh, kisses or hugs or simply a touch. Thank you. But isn't that contradictory where you said your life hack is if you need to be convinced or anything, it means it's not correct because you said now that maybe you need more time to be sure that and all that. But before you said, if you need to be sure, it means it's no. Well spotted. Yes. Well spotted contradiction. Um, It's just that I, you know, as we talked about, because there are some people that you just have the instant connection and there are some people that you don't have the instant connection. And although you may not have the distant, the instant connection with the person, um, it's, it's not going to be a factor in just stopping talking to them or communicating. So with the people that I don't particularly feel comfortable instantly, um, both emotionally and physically, I would just need a little bit more time getting to know them. And I think the next step would be the physical touch. Thank you, Maria. You're very fascinating. Very interesting. I learned a lot from this very enriching conversation. And I wish you peace, success, and Slava Ukraini. Thank you so much, Aziz, for having me. That was a pleasure. Thank you for thought-provoking questions. And I appreciate you putting the effort and the time in making such a great podcast about the girls.